Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. You can uh, find your seats. Uh, we are still in our series. This is our last week in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we are on our last, it'll be chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You can always go to the live page, click the link and have all the scriptures. Those scriptures are there all week. We keep them up so that if you want to go back and look for something that clicked, if you want to use them as a tool to talk to other people, you can just go online, pull those up and have a conversation. So we keep those up and those are available. Don't forget about that. Um, our series has titled, When All Has Been Heard. When All Has Been Heard. And the reason for that is because Solomon says that at the very end of the book, which is where we're at. In the last chapter, Solomon says very clearly, he says the conclusion of the matter. And what he's talking about is the conclusion of the matter of life. Because Solomon is writing in Ecclesiastes about life. He's writing about what is the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Okay? And so Solomon comes to the end of this conversation and he says the conclusion of the matter of life is to fear God and to obey his commands for this is for all humanity. It, it's for everybody. It, it's it's the, the offer God gives is to say, will you fear me as creator? Will you fear me as who I am? And as a result of fearing me, will you prove that out and allow me to prove it out through the way that your life is lived in obedience to what I've told you? Because if you fear me, You'll fear the fact that you don't want people to not know me. And by disobeying me, you tell people I'm not real. And by obeying me, you tell people that I'm real and I'm worth loving and I'm worth caring about. And so that's kind of what Solomon has come to. Remember who Solomon is. Solomon is the richest man probably ever. He is the richest king of Israel. He has complete peace and prosperity in the land in which he lives. Okay, He has built the greatest temple, one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple in Jerusalem. He has denied himself nothing. He has 700 wives and 300 concubines. God did not tell him to do that. God told him, do not do that. He did it anyway. Solomon, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, if you look, has said over and over, I did everything my heart wanted to do. I denied myself nothing. And also Solomon was given supernatural wisdom by God that God never took from him, even though he disobeyed him. Even though he didn't do what he was supposed to do, God never took away from him the supernatural wisdom Solomon has, which is why he wrote three books, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, because there is good wisdom there. And even from people who do wicked things, sometimes and often, they can know some wise things. We as believers are the ones that are supposed to be able to determine between the two. And when Solomon is writing and coming to the end of Ecclesiastes, he has basically written and said, here's all the conclusions and the determinations I've come from looking at my own evil in life, looking at the evil of the world around me and the reality of the way life works. And he comes to the end and he says, man, the conclusion of it all is you better decide if you're going to fear God and you better decide if he's worth obeying because it means everything. And if you don't, good luck, Solomon says, because I'm miserable and life is futile. And that's exactly where we find ourselves at the end of Ecclesiastes. Today, as we wrap up, the way that Solomon begins chapter 12 is absolutely essential. He says this, so remember your creator. So remember your creator. He writes for 11 chapters about the futility of life, the frustration of life, the joys of life, 
the happiness of life. He, he writes 11 chapters on all this, and in the beginning of verse 12, he says, you know what? You can enjoy life. You can suffer in life. You can do, I'll have all of it. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you don't remember that there is a creator who created everything, and he has authority over all things. And if you don't remember that, and you forget that, Solomon says, like, I've forgotten that, he's like, you're going to be miserable. And you're going to live a futile life. And you're going to think you're doing all the right things. But I am telling you, Solomon says, because remember, he's writing as an old man. I'm now at the end of my life being the most prosperous man ever to live of my people. I've built the greatest wonder of the world. I've had the greatest peace of any king ever. And I'm telling you, I'm miserable. I am miserable. Because all through it, I kept forgetting my creator. Or I remembered my creator, but I didn't do what he told me to do. And that's what he lays out. You see, we have an enemy, the Bible says. The Bible says we have an enemy. There's a war between Satan and God that God allowed the angels to make a decision at one point in the past, and many of the angels chose not to follow God. Why? Because they wanted to be gods. It's the same reason man sinned. In Genesis, it tells us that man turned away from God because man did not want a creator to tell him what to do. God gave them one rule, don't eat from this tree, and man was like, how dare you? And we do the same thing with God. It wouldn't matter if he gave us a thousand rules or one. In your heart and mind, we would still stand up to him and say, how dare you? Who do you think I am? I, look at what I've done. Look at what I've created. You haven't created anything. <laughs> like you are leftover DNA that keeps being produced. You realize that, right? Like they trace you back. They can find exactly where you came from and who you came from. Because it's all borrowed and just passed on. And we want to think we create things. We create nothing, and it can be gone in an instant. And you know this, and I know this, and Solomon wrote it through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Like, one electromagnetic pulse cripples us completely. We lose all electronics. One. One. We hit the right power grid, the world shuts down. Like, we are so fragile, and we think we created all these great and wonderful things. I mean, the world economy was brought to its knees by two airplanes that crashed into two tall buildings. That's it. That wasn't a nuke. That was just a few thousand people that died tragically and awfully. But man, we are fragile. And Solomon is saying, look, I'm telling you, there's going to come a moment in life when you realize you haven't built anything. The, the life is meaningless. What am I doing here? What's the point? And if you don't remember that there's someone bigger than you, that there's a creator who loved you, there's someone who desired to create you and make you, he's like, I am telling you, you are not going to make it. That's exactly what he's finishing up the book. So here's what he says, Ecclesiastes 12.1. So remember, your creator, in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in it. You know, when we're young, it's hard to think about saying maybe sometimes that I'm going to have no delight in life, right? Especially little kids, because they just seem like they love life, right? They just, whatever environment they're in, they adapt and they just do life. That's why Jesus said have childlike faith. That doesn't mean have stupid faith and naive faith. It means to recognize that whatever circumstance you're in, you're alive and you can enjoy it. That's what little kids do. Right? They just do it. And that's exactly what Solomon is writing here. He's saying, look, if you don't learn to remember your creator young, you're going to get old and have nothing but regrets and despair. So you better remember your creator when you are young. 
Because there is going to come a day when you have no delight in your life. It happened to me when I was 18 and a freshman in college. Sitting in my dorm room and it came to the point where I was like, I hate life. I hate the American dream. It's a nightmare. You just get more stuff and more stuff and then you get a wife and then a new wife and then a new car and a new house and then you die and everybody gets your stuff. Woo, yay, let's build that. And I thought, that's miserable. What am I doing? Why am I going to college and paying all this money? I don't understand what my life's even about. I don't even know what to major in. I don't know what I'm doing. And had it not been for another friend who despaired a year earlier of his life and killed himself, and I saw the absolute devastation that caused to his family and the families in our small community and my school and my basketball team and the football team and everybody else that he was a part of that just wrecked them because he couldn't find delight in life anymore, I'm like, I got to remember my creator. And so right there, I dropped to my knees in my dorm room and I cried out and I said, God, you exist. You are a creator. Help me, please. And God sent someone to share the gospel with me, to share with me that, Matt, there is delight in life and it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And what he's done for us and for you and that this was the plan for all of eternity that man was going to be broken, man would be afraid and God would say fear not because I love you and I'm going to provide a way to save you, a Messiah. So some point, it may not have been now in your life, it may have already been, at some point you're going to hate life. I promise. It is a promise of everyone. And it may actually be many times you hate life. And that you find no delight in what you're doing. The job, the relationship, the health. You just, you're struggling to find any delight. And Solomon says, look, when you come to that place, you better have something that's been built, a foundation for you from years past that can give you some strength. Because if you don't, you're not going to end up where Solomon is, which is repenting. Coming to the end and realizing I had a father who raised me to love God. I had a family that raised me to know God and I've turned away from him so many times. But as I come to the end of my life, Solomon says, I'm I'm going to remember him. I'm going to turn to him and remember the days when I was young before I started all these 700 marriages and 300 concubines before I started building all this stuff that was so important to me, and I made all these treaties with foreign nations that I was told not to make by God so I could keep it all secure and safe, and now I realize, man, I have failed miserably. And God loves him, and he forgives him, and Solomon is giving his warning to us. You see, we have an epidemic of people finding delight in this life as much as they can to only end up in misery, or people who have a false delight in this life to only have it collapse later. It's an epidemic of false promises, false promisers, and false teachers. Teaching self-pleasure, selfishness that ends up in suicide. People are killing themselves all over the place, some slowly through alcohol and drugs, others just quickly with a gun. Why? Solomon says, because we've forgotten our creator. That's it. We keep thinking we're losing stuff. You didn't make any of it. What are you losing? It's all his. That's exactly what Solomon is realizing, that the lies that he's believed, the lies that he's actually taught to others in his culture, and he's realizing it, and he's going, oh, my goodness. 
You know, I realized a lie today, this week, that I had repeated over and over again, that I had repeated to me when I was young. It was a lie of the idea that Jesus wasn't religious, that he, he wanted a relationship, not religion. I remember saying that when I was young, trying to convince people to know Jesus. Oh, Jesus doesn't want people to be religious. He just wants a relationship with you. Thankfully, through a thing I saw this week, there was a popular guy who calls himself a believer who put a, an imaginary selfie online of Jesus taking a picture with the disciples behind him at the Passover meal, right? And it's like a funny selfie. And the first thing this guy says, and it clicked for me, is he says, Jesus wasn't religious, he was a rebel, and he started going down this road. And he immediately, for some reason, this has never clicked in my mind. We can all be deceived. It's never clicked in my mind. He took a selfie of doing what? The most holy religious ceremony of God's people, the Passover. And the first thing the guy says is Jesus wasn't religious. He was celebrating a religious ceremony perfectly as it was supposed to be celebrated, representing every piece of the meal back to himself as it's supposed to be followed down to the wire and letter of the law. A religious ceremony that was like 4,000, like 5,000 years old. And you say, Jesus wasn't religious. Jesus was perfectly religious. Now he wasn't self-righteous. In other words, he wasn't legalistic about this is going to save you. Jesus had such awe for his heavenly father. He loved what his heavenly father taught. And his heavenly father taught Passover. So he did it. Because it's like, this is wonderful. I get to do what my dad taught me to do 5,000 years ago. And see, it's a great statement. It's catchy. Oh, Jesus just wants a relationship. He doesn't want you to be religious. No, he, he demands both. Fear him, have a relationship with him, and then obey him. And then we just fall for that. Yeah, Jesus wasn't religious. He was a rebel. Jesus wasn't a rebel. He obeyed every law of the Old Testament perfectly when the people of his day who thought they were obeying it perfectly were twisting it. He was the most religious person to ever live on the face of the planet. He never sinned once. He never broke a religious rule that was actually a religious Old Testament rule. Now again, it was twisted, right? They twisted all these, and they added all these rules to the rules. That's what we do. So be careful, because I have said those terms, and that's a term I'm not going to use anymore. And Solomon is saying, look, you need to remember, because there are going to be things you take delight in, and one day it's going to click for you. Oh, that was wrong. The way I said that, the way I, it sounded so good. It seemed so right. But then a fake selfie picture clicks for you and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, that is so wicked. And that's why we throw out the whole Old Testament. There's no value in it. Just the New Testament because, you know, we don't have to do that stuff now. What? That stuff is beautiful. God, Paul in the New Testament said the law is good. It's beautiful. God created the law. Now, that doesn't mean we have to do all of it because some of the law is complete. And when a law is complete, that means it's finished, which means we don't have to do it anymore, which is why we don't, sell, we don't sacrifice lambs because Jesus was the lamb of God. So I don't have to sacrifice a lamb. I have a better sacrifice. It's Jesus. So if I sacrifice a lamb, now I'm disobeying a law that's been fulfilled. 
Now I'm in disobedience to the law that's been fulfilled. But have you ever heard that? Do we teach that? No, we just say, Jesus wants a relationship with you. Why? Well, because if it's just me and Jesus in a relationship, then I don't have to be accountable to anybody or anything. Because it's just me and Jesus. And you know what? Solomon tried that. Just Solomon the king and God. Whatever he said went. Whatever he taught the people they did. Whatever treaty he made they had to submit to. Whatever. And all of a sudden he comes to the end of his life and realizes, oh my gosh, I forgot my creator. Be careful. Don't be so hard on Solomon because most of us are right there. You know, and he says, remember, you didn't create anything. There was a creator. So this is what the searcher, this is what Solomon in Israel is concerned with in the book of Ecclesiastes, that we might find our way out of the tragedies and troubles and difficulties and the infirmities of life before it's too late. That we would find the secret of living. And he begins this last chapter with that word specifically to young people. That's not me. I'm an old guy now. Young people. And he says, listen up. I know that I was one of those that caused you to forget your creator. And I'm telling you, remember him. Remember him. And so we can remember our creator and that he is the solution to our world. He is the one that fixes the issues that we have. I'm going to walk you through some passages of scripture. Just quickly, we're going to go through these. And as we go through these, I want you to see how God and all the problems that we have in the world, all the issues that we have, all the conversations, I want you to see how the Lord God answers this. And these scriptures I'm going to read for you are thousands of years old. Thousands. And they're the answers to our day. They're the answers to our life. Because he's the creator, he made stuff, and it works when we do it how it's been made. Right? You use a hammer as a fork, it's not very good. I mean, you can scoop with that back claw, you know what I mean? But people are going to be like, what are you doing? That's not what it was created for. Works great. Love it. Been doing it my whole life. Yeah, there's a, there's a thing called a fork. Let me help you. Look at some of the things that God has said, and I want you to think through the issues of our day. In Genesis 1, 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. The Hebrews always had a problem with this verse because it's the plural form of God. See, God from the beginning was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three essences or persons. It says, let us make man in our image. There's a heavenly family and now he's making it in the image that we're made in. And so what does God make? What's the first thing he makes to represent the heavenly family? He makes an earthly family. A man, a woman, so they can procreate and create children miraculously bringing life into the world, bringing light into the world, and the light is the light of men. You realize, and I've said this before, that when a, when, when a child is conceived, when the egg passes through the outside, of, or when a sperm passes through the outside of an egg, when you look on it at a microscope, when you watch that happen, light actually happens because of the zinc reaction. It lights up. There is a burst of energy and light flashes. So when God says, I am the light of man, yeah, we now know that and think we're so smart we figured it out. And God's like, I've been telling you that for like thousands of years. So he says, look at what he says. We're going to make man in our likeness and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth and all the creatures that crawl on the earth. 
They will rule. Well, I thought we were just supposed to leave the earth alone. It was all going to get better. This is paradise. This, they haven't sinned yet. God originally created the earth so that we would have something to do on it. That we would cultivate, that we would fill and subdue it. He actually create, he created it in such a way that it wasn't fully complete so that we would be a part of completing it. It's why Adam walked around the earth and he said, I don't feel complete. And God's like, that's what I was waiting for. You want, why don't you look around and find something? Can't find anything. I know I'm going to create something very special for you. Woman. That fits you perfectly. You see, that's what God does. He does this beauty of saying, so whenever someone says the lie that we need to just leave creation alone, we need to pull away from it, we just, we're hurting the environment. Yeah, we do hurt the environment. Don't get me wrong. But we're supposed to fill it and subdue it. That was the original plan of creation and that's perfection. To back away from it and think if we just leave it alone, it's gonna be good, that's not gonna work well. You know what's going to happen if we just stop doing things and leave it alone? We're going to bring wolves back, cougars back, bears back, and you won't be able to go out your back door. I don't know about you, but I like taking walks in McCormick's Creek. I do. I love it. And I don't have to worry about wolves, bears, or cougars that used to be there and killed people when they went for walks all the time. Like, we're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. And we believe the lie when people tell us, yeah, mankind's just so horrible to the earth. Well, yeah, we kind of are. I don't deny that, but you can't deny the other side when God created perfection. He said it's our job to actually build something, to take the elements of the world and create things and give him glory as creator for allowing us to create it. And that's what we don't do. We give ourselves glory as men for what we've created. And when we find something harmful, we don't stop doing it. We double down on it and don't admit our wrong. He goes on and so that's the first thing. When you hear all these creationists out there talk about just leave the world alone, it'll become a better place, that's a lie. God said that from the beginning. We're supposed to fill it and subdue it. When you say, oh, we're going to have overpopulation. No, we won't. We will not overpopulate. Have as many kids as you can have. You will not overpopulate the earth. You want to know why I know why? Because God will do something to kill a bunch of us off. He does it all the time. What are we so afraid of? Well, I got to control it. I can only have my 2.5 kids, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Like, love the Lord and believe him versus believing our world. Next scripture. He goes on. In the next passage, he says, So God created man in his own image. He created the image of God. He created the male and female. Two distinct images to declare two different things about who God is. We can't even define what a woman is in our culture today, literally. We won't. We won't talk about what's manly and what's, what's not. And I'm not talking about manly being you carry a broadsword and kill stuff. That's a false manhood. That is not the picture. Jesus didn't walk around with a broadsword like Braveheart and slashing people. And so he looks and he says... God created man in his image. And anytime we mess with the image God's created, we are telling him, you're not my creator, I am. And I'm looking for a creator who will affirm me. And how dare you create me this way when I think and want to be that way. That is, God says, that's just wrong. That's not how I created you. Now, do we, are we mean to those people? No, we just have to tell them the truth about God. Just like Solomon, for 11 chapters, has been telling us the truth about life. 
Look at what Job says. Job is arguably the oldest book in the Bible, oldest story in the Bible. Job was tested by God, and when he comes to the end of his life, or he comes to the end of the book, not his life, it says, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Do you believe that? Do you believe God made you? That he is the one that gives life and takes life and has that authority? Because if you believe that, it changes the way you see people. It changes the way you do life. It changes how you interact with people. Deuteronomy 32.6 says, Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? He's talking to God's people. Isn't he your father and creator? Didn't he make you and sustain you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years long past and your father and he will tell you your elders and they will teach you. You want to know the key indicators of whether you truly are looking to want to remember your creator and remember God? How many old people do you talk to a week? Because if you want to hear and remember and hear the stories of God, yeah, I, I see some elbows flying out there. Um, if you want to you remember the stories of God, people that are discipling are like, hey, you're my old person. Anyway, so Matt's my old guy. Like, yeah, maybe. Like, he says right here, he goes, ask your father and he will tell you. Ask your real father if he knows Christ. Ask spiritual fathers. Ask your elders. If you don't have a father you can ask, then go to the elders. My dad's an idiot. Great, there's elders God has provided that you can go ask. And it says they should teach you. You should have some older people in your life who open the word with you and say, let's talk and let's, let's talk about the creator. Let's talk about who God is. Here's the word. Here's who he is. They, if they aren't doing that, you need that. Because if you just hang out with a bunch of young people and then all, you're just going to think that I created all this and that we can change the world and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and then you're going to get really tired and realize, nope. He says, look, and we have an authority problem in our culture. We don't respect authority. We don't love authority. We don't respect our elders. We don't think about those that have gone on before us, which is partly why we don't love the Bible because it's old and we love new. I don't want old stuff. I want new stuff, right? And God's like, no. Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish people? Do you forget that he's the father and creator, that he's given you relationships to sustain you? Psalm 139, 13. Again, that takes care of the elderly authority problem in our culture. 13 says this, for you formed me in my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. Abortions killed, I think, 62 million, 64 million babies. Maybe more than that now. Since Roe v. Wade was put in and now it's been done away with, but that doesn't mean it stopped. See, Satan loves killing children. Especially because he knows those children are the ones that glorify God and make change in the world. The first thing he did when God brought Moses into the world, the deliverer, was what? Kill all the children of Israel. When Jesus was born to come to be the deliverer of his people, what did King Herod do? He ordered that all the children be killed. Abortion is horrible. It's wicked. It's an abomination. 
Is it sometimes necessary in terms of like a woman's dying and you've got to make a decision and the baby dies and it's a hard... Yes, we live in a broken world. Solomon has been talking about that for 11 chapters. We did this to ourselves. Our creator didn't make this mess. We made the mess when we said we don't want you and we put in our DNA brokenness now for all of eternity until God comes back and gives us perfect bodies that don't have broken DNA. We did that, not God. So he says, you formed me. Do we believe this about our creator? Look at what Romans says. Paul's writing in the New Testament to the Roman church. And he says, when people turn away from a creator, here's what it's going to look like. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served something created instead of their creator who is praised forever. Amen. This is what we do. We, we turn to something we think we can control, something we think we've created, and we say, oh, look at what I made. Oh, this is so important to me. Oh, this is so sentimental. This is my thing. Oh, 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 oh. And God's like, why don't you turn to me? Because that's going to be gone. You're going to die, and you can't take that with you. Then he says, look at this. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge the creator God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. Welcome to the USA. I would love to elect some leaders that weren't prideful, that weren't gossips, that weren't quarrelers, that weren't deceitful. Good luck finding them. Left or right doesn't matter. Why? Because God has turned us over. You want this stuff? Have it. You want your idols? Have it. Have your idols. See how that goes. I'll be here to remind you that I created you and I created everything. So here you go. See, God doesn't do it because he's mad and he's like, take that. He does it because he's like, there's no other way to get your attention than to let you have it all like Solomon had it. Solomon got it all. And finally, at the end of Solomon's life, he was like, oh my goodness, I get it now. And you think, and I think, yeah, that's how I want to go. Like, I want to get everything I can. You hear people say this all the time. I want to live life and enjoy it. Then when I come to the end, then I'll, I'll repent and ask God to forgive me. And It's not how it works. Like, we have to be the ones that tell people the truth about our Creator. And here's the deal. Even with all your baggage and all your sin and all your mess, which you have, and if you don't think you have it, you need to have a conversation with an older person. Probably a parent, because they'll help you see it. And if you understand the mess you're in, like Solomon, then you will come back and say, man, I am desperate for a creator that will save me. That somehow will provide a way. 
And that's where Solomon's coming to. So if you think you can't be used because of you've messed up your marriages, you, you think you can't be used because you've, you, don't, you haven't used your wealth properly or money properly, you think you can't be used because you promoted all these idols and said all these wrong things for so long, Solomon? He, Solomon did all that. How about you just do what he did and come to, he is my creator. Colossians says this, don't lie to one another since you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. God's trying to get you to see how he's created everything. He's trying to help you understand the reality of your world, the reality of who he is, and what he's going to come back and make new in a new creation, a new earth, a new heaven. And he says, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and is all. So this pretty much ends racism, legalism, and slavery right there. Gone. Like, do you realize that it makes more sense, okay? It makes more sense to have transracialism than transsexualism. Because we all descended from a common ancestor and everybody believes that. Even people who don't believe in God say there was a common ancestor at some point and that's how all this began. And so to be, like, to declare whatever race you want actually makes more sense than declaring whatever sex you want because sex is a DNA issue with hormones and the whole nine yards. Race is kind of always mixed, very mixed, if we trace it back far enough. I know that's a hard teaching. But the Bible says we shouldn't even be concerned about race. We should love our neighbor as ourself. And yeah, they got baggage and they got issues and there's all these problems. But the, the founding of our country ignored all this to now our peril. And God's like, don't lie to one another. Don't make rules that say you can enslave people. That's a lie. Don't lie to one another. Since you've put off the old self, then put on the new one. And if you can do that, it proves that you're being renewed by a new creation every day, a new creator. Like, that, this, is, this is God's word. It solves all of our problems. It's thousands of years old, and we just put it aside, and we try to create all these other solutions. And God's like, do you realize there is no solution to the race problem and the legalism problem and the other issues of our world, the, the national nations fighting without the grace of God because we have all been awful to each other? All of us. If God doesn't have grace on me, then I'm in trouble and you're in trouble. And it's only going to be the grace of God that we admit, yep, we did terrible. Yep, that's awful. We've all done it. Every tribe, people group in the world has enslaved another people group at some point in their history. And we are desperate to be forgiven of that. And we need Jesus to do it. No amount of reparations, no amount of anything else is going to do it. We need Christ to renew us. And Solomon is realizing this. He's calling you as young people back to your creator. Not to some system. Like back to God. Peter says this in the New Testament. So those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. He literally says, 
if you actually acknowledge the faithful creator, if you understand your awe of him and you obey him, I promise you, he says, I promise you, you're going to suffer. And you're going to come to a moment where you say, you know what, if I do this, I'm going to lose everything. And that's the moment when you say, that's okay, because I am entrusting myself to a faithful creator. And that's going to come up in your life over and over again. Don't compromise like Solomon. Come to the place where you are like, I know what's going to happen if I say this. I know what's going to happen if I do this. And maybe I need to wait and pray about it before I do it. So I'm going to not do it, but I'm not going to say I'm not going to do it. And we need to wrestle with that. And then we need to have a conversation in which we point people not to obey all these laws, but to point them back to the person of Jesus and the person of God. It's what we have to do. It's what Peter is saying. He's like, you're going to suffer in this life. The question is, are you going to suffer for righteousness or evil? That's, that's your call. Because you're going to suffer. That's, that's not even an option. You know, when the average person lives into their 70s, average is 50%. That's what an average is. It's, it's, it's the middle, Right? That means that the person sitting next to you isn't making it. Because it's just 50%. There's two of you. One of you ain't making it. That's, and people, like, if you die before you get old, it's typically terrible. And when you die when you are old, it's typically terrible. And see, Solomon leads, after he says these words, remember your creator when you're young, then he goes into his own life. He goes into giving a picture, and this really confuses people, but there's an author that gave me some insight into this that I read this week, and it's beautiful when you look at what Solomon lays out here. And it's going to really bug the old people in the room, okay, when I lay this out. And the young people in the room, you better tune in because this is going to happen to you, I promise. If you live long enough, it's going to happen just like Solomon says. And he didn't have modern medicine to figure this out. He just observed the world. And yep, yep, this is what happens to old people. And he just says it. Here's what he says. Ecclesiastes 2, 12, 2. Before the sun and the light are darkened, and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, on the day when the guardians of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, the women who grind cease because they are few, and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly. The doors at the street are shut while all the sound of the mills fade. When the one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint, also they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper loses its spring, and the caper berry has no effect, for man is headed to his eternal home. And you're like, what is all of that? It's called metaphors. This would have made complete sense in Solomon's culture because all of these things he lists, this is how they talked in their cultures. Like, for example, man, man, you bad. I'm bad. No, no, you bad. No, I'm terrible? What do I need to do? No, you bad. You're cool. I'm cool. No, I'm hot. I'm 98.7. Like, it's the same thing. If you don't know the culture, these words are going to confuse you. That's what's, it, this is confusing because we're like, what? It's like, no, in Solomon's culture, this was like the slang. He's being cool. He's saying these things to the young people. And they're like, oh, yeah, the caperberry, the alder, oh, the blossom. Like, that's exactly what he's using. And, and, and again, everybody else is like, what is he talking about? Let me break it down. First thing he says is before the sun and the light are darkened. That's because your eyesight typically goes first when you get old. 
And you can't see when the room is dark. You need more light. It's the first sign of aging. You can be in great shape, lift weights, everything else. And you know, there's some things maybe you can't do like you used to do, but you're pretty much keeping along. And then one day you pick up a piece of paper and you're like, oh my goodness. And you got headaches all the time. And you're like, I can't. You know, and then you go to the doctor. He's like, you just need a little prescription. You put these magic things on. You're like, whoa, I'm old. Right? And then you start depending on those. And then you don't have them one day. And you're at the restaurant. And you're like, I get my phone out, take a picture, and blow it up. Like, it's the first sign, Solomon says. And then he goes on and he says, look at this. He goes, the moon and the stars and the clouds return. That means all these years are happening. So first your eyesight starts to go. And you're okay for a while, Right? And then it's like, but you're seeing the days go. Now you're reminded, oh my goodness, if I'm losing my eyesight, oh, the moon went down tonight, oh, the sun came back up, I'm getting older. What else is going to happen? That's exactly what Solomon's writing. He's like, oh, this is everything else that's going to happen. So young people tune in. He says, when the guardian of the house tremble, what is the guardian for a man to guard himself, his house with? His hands. The guardian of the house. When you get old, you want to know what happens? You tremble. You can't stop it. That's why surgeons can't be surgeons into their 70s. Many not even into their 60s. Because they tremble and they'll kill people. It's part of life, Solomon says. And then he says, and the strong men stoop. The strong men, the two twin men are your shoulders. The strong men, I got the hands, I got the shoulders. And they start to stoop. Right? It happens. You don't want it. You're like, I got to have good posture. And you're like, oh, that's terrible. This feels so good. (laughs) Right? Then he goes on. He says, the women who grind cease because they are few. What do you think this is talking about? Your teeth. It's talking about your teeth. Because in Song of Solomon, he talks about the teeth and the woman and comparing them. Like, they don't grind anymore. You lost them. Yeah, I got my teeth. Yeah, he's like, that's what's going to happen. And then he goes on and he says, and the ones who watch through the windows see dimly. That's cataracts. You get the cataracts and it's like a dim window. Like I got a window over my face and I can't, I don't know why. Then he goes on and he says, the doors are, of the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades. The doors are the ears. You can't hear what you used to hear. And the sounds you used to hear, you can't hear anymore. It's like, what? You hear that? Like my kids used to do this to me. Some, they don't anymore. But they play these high-pitched sounds. And they go, Dad, can you hear that? I'm like, no. And my wife would be the first one to say, I can still. I'm like, right? And it's hilarious because men actually lose their upper register hearing as they age. And women lose their lower register hearing. Is that not comical? Because men are low and like, I can't hear you. I can't hear. So you see those old couples, it's like it's happening to them. They can't help it. God designed it that way. And maybe it's so that we're like more patient with each other, right? Like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Okay, well, let's just sit here and read a book. Okay. And I mean, maybe that's better. I don't know. But Solomon is laying this process out. Then he says, look, he goes, when one rises at the sound of a bird. (laughs) So you can't hear anything. But then in the middle of the night, the weirdest things wake you up. And the weirdest sounds that never used to bother you drive you nuts now, right? You're like, what is that noise? And everybody's like, what? Like, I can't stand that anymore. It's like your hearing changes in such a way that everything annoys you. 
Solomon says, yeah, that's going to happen as you age. Like, this is the process. And you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I'm awake. And I'm wide awake. And I, I don't know why I'm going to go back to sleep. It's like 4 a.m. I'll just get up. And you wonder why four, you know, old people eat at 4, a, 4 in the afternoon and then they go to bed at 8. Because they're like, I'm going to wake up from something in the middle of the night. i got to get some sleep. Like, this is the per- like Solomon's laying this out. And then he goes, look at this. The daughters of song grow faint. The joy and the happiness of the songs and everything else, they start to dim. People leave your house. It's just you and your wife. It's empty nest. It's those songs and the children don't come around anymore because they don't want your wisdom. You're forgotten. And the sounds of your kids and the joys of your daughters just kind of grow faint. And then he goes on and he says, also they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. <laughs> Number one thing that kills old people. You know what it is? Falling. Number one cause of death of old people is falling. Yeah, Solomon recognized that. And they don't want to climb heights because I might fall. And so you spend most of your time figuring out how not to fall. Like it's like, well, I don't know if I want to go out today because I might fall. So I'll just stay in. I don't know if I want to go to the bathroom right now because I might fall. This is how age works. And we try to undo it, and Solomon's like, you can't. This is the process. And then he says, the almond tree blossoms. Guess what color the almond tree blossoms are? White. My almond tree's blossoming, baby. What a lot I have left. I mean, just around the sides. I'm getting some great almond tree blossoms around here. Then he goes on and he says, the grasshopper loses its spring. Oh, grasshopper, you were so good when you were young. You start to realize, I can't do the things I used to. And the things I used to do easily, like get off the floor, take a lot of work. Like I used to just spring up. And now I'm like, I got to plan my approach. I got to plan my comeback. Like I got to have things around me. Like if I'm going to go to the, can I reach that? I don't, I don't know. Hey, Clint, come here and grab this. Like, and then he says, and the, the caper berry has no effect. The Israelites believed that the caperberry was an aphrodisiac. It was the Viagra of their day. And he's like, I got 700 wives and 300 concubines. I've been taking caperberry all the time. It is not helping. Because there comes a point when it doesn't matter, women or men, because your body goes through physical changes. And especially for women who have had a lot of children, their entire insides sometimes fall out of them. And you may not know that as a young person. They physically cannot give themselves because of their medical condition. And if you don't remember the wife of your youth, men, when you still have some vigor left and they don't, you'll destroy them instead of caring for them. And then he goes on and he says, for man is headed to his eternal home. The question is, where are you headed? Where am I headed? He goes on and he says, and the mourners will walk around in the street before the silver cord is snapped. That's always representative of the spinal cord, right? That's what they called the silver cord when they did an autopsy. They saw that. And the gold bowl is broken and the jar is shattered at the spring and the well is broken into the well and the dust returns to the earth as it once was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. This is talking about water because water is the source of life. And he's saying, and all of these references are things that you need to go to the well. You need a good back to go to the well. 
You gotta bend and get the water, you gotta carry the water. And if your spinal cord's no good, you can't get water. The gold bowl is the bowl you take to get the water. And the jar is where you store the water. And the wheel is broken when you get there, so you can't get any water. Does this sound familiar, old people? Right? And he says, and you realize that I'm just dust and I'm going to return to the earth as it once was. And the spirit returns to God. And am I ready for that? Am I ready to face eternity and realize all this stuff I'm building, all these things I'm doing, all this vigor and everything else, I'm, do I recognize that in the end I'm just going to turn to dust and I've got to face God eternally? Everyone has to because we're more than just dust and dirt. We have a soul. We're created differently. No other animal writes words. No other animal cares about being remembered. Humans do. Why? Because we have a creator who wants to be remembered. And Solomon says, remember your creator. And it's the number one way that we twist God. We try to get ourselves remembered instead of teaching people how to remember him. He goes on and he says, absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. You know, you may not see that yet, but you will. You're going to come to a place where you're going to realize it's just meaningless. Why am I getting up? Why am I fighting? Why am I going on another day? Why am I fighting for this marriage? Why am I praying? Why am I doing? Why am I disciplining? Why? Just forget it. I just want to live for me. Now that's absolutely futile too says the teacher. He goes on in Ecclesiastes. He says, in addition to the teacher, being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. We have a whole book of them. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. Why? Because he realized, I want people to remember their creator. And God called him to write so that people could remember their creator. And he's coming to the end of his life and realizing this is my purpose, is to communicate to others the greatness of God, the knowledge of him, the teachings of him, the proverbs of him. This is everything and the delightful sayings about God and to write it accurately. Not the way I want it. See, Solomon's writing a book. This last book is just brutalizing himself. Like, it's just brutal. Like, you don't, it, look, you don't write these kind of books to be remembered this way. That's what makes the Bible, one of the greatest proofs of the Bible is that all of the Bible's authors wrote terrible things about themselves. That's not what people do or are trying to create their own religion and get you to believe what they believe. They don't write terrible things. They talk about how great they are and how great the Israelites are and how great their people are and how great their nation is. The Bible's full of, they're terrible, they're awful, they keep disobeying, <laughs> And the guys who did the sin wrote their sins down for you and me to read it. And we're afraid to admit our sin and confess that to one another, which we're supposed to do to find healing. That's the way we're healed. The creator designed healing that way. Not to cover it up, not to hide it, to lie about it, to make it sound better than it is. Just tell the truth. Oh, but there's going to be consequences. Yep, there are always consequences to telling the truth. Always, always, always and always. But there are better consequences than standing before God having been labeled a liar. Then he says in verse 11, the sayings of the wise are like goads, 
And those for masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. You know what a goat is? A goat is something you prod people with. A goat is something you you use to get people to do what you want. Get a cattle, do what you want. I'm going to goad you into this. Solomon's like, the word of God is supposed to goad us. It's like that thing just keeps poking at us. Yeah, yeah. You're like, ow, ow. God's like, I love you. Yeah, ow. He's like, well, if you would listen, I wouldn't have to goad you into it. But you don't listen, so I've got to give you a little goad, right? And that's what our body does. As our bodies break down, it is the declaration of us being goaded by the world around us so that we go, ah, oh, creator, I'm not everything. I need something more. Is there an eternity? All these ailings that, that, that Solomon's laying out, they're the goads that cause us to go, wow, I'm not going to see forever. I'm not going to hear forever. I'm not going to live. What am I living for? And that's exactly what he says is the point of the word of God. It's the point of what God's trying to do. And then he says the sayings of the wise are like these goads. And he says they're like embedded nails. You see, God's laws are written down. And once they're written down, it's for everyone to know. It's there. It's true. It's accessible. And you better learn to find it. And if not, there are nails awaiting you. But thankfully, we had someone who took those nails for us. Nailed to a cross. Why? Because he was the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. See, Solomon is prophesying here. There's no question. Solomon is prophesying about the shepherd that will come one day. And Solomon's remembering, I've been a terrible shepherd. But at least I wrote some things down so that maybe a generation after me will listen. But I've done a bad job of getting this generation to listen. Then he goes on. Actually, John says this about the good shepherd. He says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it in abundance. And that doesn't mean the life you want. It doesn't mean all the stuff you want. That's not what he's talking about there, okay? He's saying an abundant life that comes from recognizing that the creation is God's, not yours. And the abundance of all of creation, the seasons that are happening, are because God's trying to reveal how abundantly he has treated humanity in the midst of a terrible, awful world where we deserve nothing but death. Then he says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. See, if you recognize your creator and you recognize eternity, you don't run away from the issues, you go after them. And you lay down your life so that people will hear about your creator. And then he says, the wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. There are so many hired pastors out there. They are hirelings. And they will run, they will lie, they will deceive, they will manipulate to get what they want and create what they want to prove that they're somebody. And then there are the faithful shepherds, like my grandfather, who will give their life, and even when the church fires you and tells you you're too old, we don't want you anymore, he will still give his life to the sheep. And he may not be able to go to the building to preach anymore, but it's amazing how all the sheep keep showing up at his house to get some word from him because they obey going to the elders and the fathers. He goes on and he says, 
I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Solomon realizes I didn't lay down my life, but he prophesies that there's going to come a shepherd who does. Solomon would have known that his father was a shepherd who laid down his life for sheep. Solomon probably when he's writing this is thinking about his dad and how his dad laid down his life and how Solomon had been taking life from everyone instead of laying down his life. Making treaties and bargains instead of representing God and taking the people into the battle they were called to fight in the promised land against the evil and the idolatry of their land. And that's why Jesus finishes with this. He says, but I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock with one shepherd. See, Jesus says, our job as under shepherds, as his people are to go out and to look for the lost sheep who will listen They will submit to the creator. They will surrender their lives and they will obey. Colossians says, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's transferred us in the kingdom of his son. He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. In other words, it's not by our works. See, Solomon is saying, you've got to remember your creator. You're not going to save yourself, but your creator might. He might just give you the grace and mercy that you can't get. Then he says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Jesus in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. See, Solomon is trying to then hold together his kingdom and he realizes it's going to fall apart when I leave because I've all built it on me. And when the king is gone, everybody's going to scatter. When the paid shepherd is, they don't want to get paid, they're going to scatter. And Solomon is calling them back to one shepherd. And Jesus says, there is one shepherd and I am him. And I hold it all together. If you feel like if you can't hold it together, then go back to the creator. Because the creator, according to this passage, is who? Jesus. He created all things. The father told him, you create my son. It's yours to create. And he's the one that holds it all together. Why? Because of his great love for his father and his great love for us. And then he says, he is the head of the body, the church. I'm not the head. I'm not the head. Christ is. No pastor is the head of their church. They are an under shepherd of the good and great shepherd. And then he says, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he might have to come to have first place in everything. Do you put Jesus in first place in everything in your life? See, Solomon's coming to the end of his life realizing he hadn't done that. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. Solomon says, the teacher wrote down all these sayings and words, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Again, we're talking about Jesus. So not only is Jesus the creator, he is the word giver. And he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has has been created. Life was in Jesus, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness 
did not and does not overcome. Do we believe that? Solomon's realizing this at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes 12, 12 says this, but beyond these, my son, Solomon says, young man, beyond all these things I've just told you about being young and remembering your creator and you're going to fall apart and I've written some things down you need to take to heart and I know I've messed up and we need to trust God and his grace and walk with him. Beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books and much study wearies the soul. You don't need much more than the Bible. And be careful when you start chasing other things other than the scriptures. Because you're looking for a new creator that will fix some problems instead of going to the old creator who's already fixed it all multiple times. It doesn't mean we don't read other books. Just be careful that you're not trying to solve solutions and make a difference in the world apart from Jesus who is the word, apart from Jesus who is the creator, and apart from him who can do it through you. See, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise, fear God, and obey his commands. Because that's what wisdom and discipline are. Wisdom always leads you back to fear the creator, fear God, understand who he is, and leads you to discipline. I want to obey, and I know I don't obey unless somebody goads me. I gotta have help to obey. I need discipline in my life. I'm not good at it. I need to invite people to help me. That's what Solomon's realizing. As we wrap up, Ecclesiastes finishes with this. When all has been heard, you've been here listening for a while. We've been 12 weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. When all of it's been heard, the conclusion of the matter is simple. Fear God. Well, who's God? Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Fear God and keep his commands. Because this is for all of us. It's for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He's going to judge your good things, and he's going to judge your bad things. And the bad things are going to be put on Christ, and it's going to say grace over the top of it and be put away, and the good things are going to be declared for eternity that you did because the creator did it through you in the power of his Holy Spirit. Hebrews says it this way in the New Testament. And just as it is appointed once for people to die, or appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, that's already done, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let me ask you, what are you waiting for? What thing in your life are you struggling that didn't turn out the way you want or the mess that you've created that you're trying to fix that you just need to come to a place where you say, you know what? Only Jesus is going to be able to bring salvation to this. Only he is going to be able to do this and I need to wait for him. I need to wait for his timing. I need to know what he says and do it as he says to do it. So this morning, remember your creator. Remember your creator. Young, old, remember who created you. It's God, specifically Jesus, who is the word, the creator of all things. And if you're still alive and you still are walking around, Jesus hasn't forgotten you. 
He's saying, come to me, all you who are heavy and weary laden, and I will give you rest. That doesn't mean the the earth is going to be easy for you. It just means you're going to keep coming back to a place of rest in me instead of trying to find your rest everywhere else. And when you're in the midst of a hospital bed wondering what's going to happen, you can lay back and go, but I remember my creator, and I remember what he said, and there's a new life, and there's a new body, so you can have this one if you want. And you're going to find a peace and a love, and a joy, and a patience, and a kindness, and a goodness, and a faithfulness you never thought was possible in your life. But as Solomon wraps up his life, he realizes it's got to start with remembering your Creator, accepting the reality of life and how it ends up, and understanding that we're more than just dust. We have eternity and souls, and so does everyone else. And there are people who need to hear this message, and they need to remember because they've never been told that there's a Creator that loves them. And it's going to judge them. And you can look at them and go, I'm scared to death sometimes of God, but you know what? I've put my judgment on Christ. And so I can now, with fear and trembling hands, go before my God, and he can say, thank you for remembering me. Enter your rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your mercy, your grace. Lord, thank you that you had grace on Solomon. You used his life. You never gave up on him. Lord, you gave him wisdom that he used for his own advantage and he's coming to the end of his life and he's realizing these truths. And Lord, he's trying to help us in this room, specifically those who are young in this room, to recognize the reality of this life and to find joy in just remembering that we have a creator that you are the word, that you are our creator, that you are our shepherd, you are our savior, you are the one who does it all. We can't do anything for ourselves. And so Lord, this morning, if there's anyone here who has never acknowledged you as creator, they've never submitted to you like Romans 1, they've been chasing all the idols in their life and they need to just finally say, I'm done. I want to believe in the creator Jesus, the savior and Messiah Jesus, the shepherd Jesus who can save and walk with me the rest of my life. I pray today would be the day they pray that prayer and that they surrender to you so that they can experience a new creation happening in their heart and in their mind and in their life. And they can see the world around them new in a way they've never seen it before. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart to remember you as our creator. We don't create this world. We don't do all this. You do it through us. And would that humble us? Would it cause us to be long-suffering? Would it cause us to be full of truth instead of lies? Would it cause us not to manipulate, but to live obedient lives because you are our creator who has saved us? And so, Lord, thank you that you've given us a world to fill and subdue and to make you known. And thank you that you told us that it's probably not going to go well when we do that because there's an enemy who doesn't want the lost sheep to be found and doesn't want the lost sheep to find their shepherd. Lord, help us to never forget that you're our shepherd who took the nails and didn't run away, but you died for us. So now we can be your shepherds that lay down our lives for others. We thank you, Lord.